Mars beckons at the 2021 Humans to Mars Summit, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. A pandemic couldn't keep Explore Mars from once again producing a wonderful gathering of would-be Martians. I was honored to moderate three panel discussions at this year's summit. You'll hear highlights of one of them in moments. A very fun visit with Planetary Society Chief Scientist Bruce Betts is also in store. Now those headlines drawn from the September 24 edition of The Downlink, the free weekly newsletter from the Planetary Society. Not only will there soon be a viper on the moon, but we know where it will be. NASA has chosen Noble Crater near the lunar south pole for the Volatiles Investigating Polar Exploration Rover. It's a cute little fellow, especially with its mast-mounted headlight. Viper is slated for launch next year. Three Chinese astronauts are back on Earth after 90 days aboard that nation's new space station. The next crew may be announced soon. You're about to hear NASA's Lori Glaze mention the ongoing success of the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars. The tiny whirly bird has completed 13 flights, but the change of seasons may make its next forays more difficult. Fly on, little robot. You can always find and subscribe to the downlink at planetary.org downlink. I am so grateful to explore Mars. They keep inviting me back to the Humans to Mars Summit where I can happily lose myself among scientists, engineers, writers, policymakers, and others who keep their sights on the Red Planet. This year's three-day summit had to remain virtual for the usual reason. Explore Mars hopes that the next summit in May of 2022 will finally let us all gather in Washington, D.C. again. In the meantime, you can watch streaming video of this year's sessions, including my three, We've got the direct link on this week's episode at planetary.org slash radio, but you can also get there from exploremars.org. Here are highlights from a panel that has become the traditional close for H2M. We call it Why Mars? It's a chance for an amazing collection of Martians to tell us why they do what they do and why they want to see boots on the red planet. I'll give you the lineup now so that I can stay out of the way as you listen. We'll begin with Jim Garvin, chief scientist at NASA's fabled Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland. Greg Chavers is NASA's acting deputy associate administrator for systems engineering and integration in what used to be the Human Exploration and Operations Mission Directorate. Stay tuned. Kavya Manyapu is with NASA's Flight Systems Operations and Training in the Extravehicular Activity Branch. She's also an adjunct professor at the University of North Dakota, teaching in the Space Studies Department, and works on spacesuit technologies. Educator Steve Sherman is the Chief Imagination Officer for Living Maths. As you'll hear, he joined us from his native South Africa. Hunter Stanchak is the founder and lead developer of Colonize Mars, a blockchain-based game that tells the story of a simulated colony on the Red Planet. And Aaron Shepard, is an electrical and robotics engineer, also a science communicator in South Carolina. We'll close with my co-moderator, Janet Ivey of Janet's Planet, educator and the president of Explore Mars. Jim Garvin? 
Thanks, Matt and Janet, and well, welcome to Mars. I want to start with asking the question differently. And I would say it's why Mars now? Because we're in the midst of an absolute revolution in understanding our brotherly planet. In fact, it's nearly the perfect storm in the sense of going somewhere really cool to go to Mars. The scientific exploration of this world over the past 25 years has opened that frontier. We're moving, driving, flying, drilling, sampling, measuring Mars right now as we speak with robots like Perseverance, her, her partner Ingenuity giving us dronescapes of this fabulous world, tools that will allow us to ask questions about seriously whether the biosignatures that could tell us about ancient Mars that may or may not have been alive are possible there. This is the Mars we've now invented thanks to masterpieces of engineering. And that frontier 25 years ago was much murkier. But today, thanks to digital exploration, engineering by these robotic emissaries, the Mars we see is even better than we dared hoped. There's even an under Mars where part of the planet which we don't see is likely to contain records of ancient ices and other things. So I submit to you, the why Mars is because science and engineering have given us the tools to make Mars ours. And for us as people, as explorers, changing that digital exploration pathway from that which we live now with cycles of command loops to that which we will live today with ourselves there, that's the opportunity we have. I say, Mars, here we come. That was perfect. What a great kickoff for uh, the first of our presentations today. Thanks for bringing us the science and uh, and what's behind it. We're going to go on now to, uh, well, NASA headquarters, basically. Greg Chavers is uh, uh, going to pick up uh, with our second presentation, answering that uh, overarching question. Greg, it's all yours. All right. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people ask, why do we need to send humans to Mars? Why can't we use robots to learn everything we need to learn at Mars? Well, thanks to our successful fleet of robotic missions, we've made important new discoveries about Mars, but human explorers have the benefit of intuition, rapid decision-making, and dexterity that are unmatched by robots. Astronauts don't need a command loop cycle to complete tasks. Our human curiosity drives new discovery. The most advanced robots cannot replace human understanding and emotion behind new discoveries, not just the facts, but the cumulative meaning of those discoveries. Humans are intuitive and they're able to make rapid decisions as they take in new information. We can improvise when things don't go as planned. For example, if there are adjustments or, or physical alignments needed in our ro robotics or instrumentation, an astronaut can do that real time. What can take years for a robot to accomplish on Mars could take hours for a human to accomplish. And the solar system is full of exciting destinations but aside from Earth, Mars is the closest to being habitable. It's got day-night cycles similar to Earth. It's got seasons. It's got similar terrain and to Earth's deserts and mountains and cliffs and valleys and dunes. And it has abundant natural resources that can be used, such as oxygen from ice or, or carbon dioxide, uh, water, minerals, uh, and sunlight. So one of NASA's long-term goals is to expand human presence into the solar system. And sending humans to Mars is the natural next step for that. And we will use the moon to help us get there. Thank you, Greg. That was great. Boy, that brings up so many questions. Let's go on now to our third presenter, Kavya. Thank you, Matt and Janet. It's a pleasure to be here. Why Mars? I would actually like to start off with my observations of the world in the last 18 months. 
Why does it have to take tragedy for us to solve a problem? Why does it have to take tragedy to address human survival? And why does it have to take tragedy for us to come together and help us transcend our boundaries? Let me pause there for a moment for that question to sink in. Why Mars? Mars, because of its rich destination for scientific discovery, a driver for technological advancement, and a platform to really push our understanding of what we are capable of accomplishing together. Why Mars? Mars, because it would mean to really understand human survival, to sustain human life on another planet, and not just to survive, but to thrive. Why Mars? Mars, because it would mean to develop life support technologies that have to work independently of the resources from Earth, which really in turn would help us solve some of the most pressing problems on Earth for the survival of our species. Why Mars? Because to expand human consciousness, that is in each of us from a mere personal identity to a global or even a cosmic identity that is naturally inclusive. And finally, why Mars? And Mars because it would really take more than just one person, one community, one agency, or one nation to make it happen. It would really force us to see beyond our differences, working towards a common goal of making us a multi-planetary species. Let's not think of the limitations of being human, but rather focus on the immense possibilities of being a human. And Mars really provides us that frontier. And that's why Mars. That's a lovely message. Thank you so much, Kavya. I am hearing so many good reasons for why Mars. Uh, let's go on now to uh, where it is uh, just coming into springtime, I believe. Steve Sherman down in South Africa. Why Mars? Why Mars? Well, thank you, Janet and uh, Matt, for this wonderful opportunity to speak to people who are passionate about STEM. First of all, as educators, we teach our children to think critically, to problem solve, to think outside of the box and to innovate. We teach them about the environment. We teach them about caring for others and protecting our future. They learn about technology and how to improve their lives using this technology. What is the point of preparing our students for a future if we have no intention of building one? The exploration of Mars, among many other endeavors like medical advancements, environmental solutions, economic improvements and social equality, etc., is an opportunity to put these skills into practical use to build a better future for all. And Nelson Mandela said it best, it always seems impossible until it is done. So when I tell students that they could become an astronaut in the future, it is no longer about motivating them. It's actually about probability. And finally, I bring astronauts and space scientists out to South Africa to give students access to them. I want them to be exposed to role players in the space industry, and I do this in the hope that some of these students will become role players themselves. I do this because I would love us as a species 
to push the boundaries of exploration, and Mars is one of those milestones. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, and some of you may have caught uh, Steve's live contribution to H2M earlier today, as he did exactly what he was telling us uh, about just now, uh, making a space expert, uh, one of our speakers, available to those uh, students. It is an important message, building that future. Let's go on now to Hunter Stanchak, who, uh, well, we had a little preview of uh, some of the images that you're about to see. Let's see if they knock your socks off as they have mine. Yeah, thank you everyone for having me be a part of this conversation. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, but I believe, you know, Mars is going to be possibly the most important undertaking of our lifetime because it's going to help us answer fundamental scientific questions. It's going to help satisfy our innate human desire for progress. And sort of like what Steve was alluding to, it's going to really inspire younger generations to explore science and space. So for me personally, the prospect of becoming a space-faring multi-planetary civilization is a great reason to get up in the morning. But I do believe that a crucial factor in achieving this is that we really need more people to feel this way. I believe millions more, in fact, really need to be interested in going to Mars. It needs to become culturally relevant and a shared dream amongst people because human will and imagination are immensely powerful forces. And when people are inspired, they can be galvanized to act and accomplish really amazing things. So at Colonize Mars, our vision is to catalyze the will of humanity to become multiplanetary. And we're doing this through the powerful medium of story and interactive stories like the one that we're building, uh, we believe have the power to inspire millions of people and focus their will on making something like a, a mission uh, like Mars a reality. Thank you, Hunter. Game on. I love those images on <laughs> uh, the cards. I, I want those as posters uh, in, my, in my home office. Aaron Shepard, uh, engineer, science communicator, it's your turn. Okay, yes. So uh, like it's been stated, I am an engineer, and that is about half of my personality. And that half of my personality is very analytical. I want numbers. I want data. So I'm going to give you some data right now that really, I think, will bring the point home. There was a study done by Nature Magazine. I can't remember the exact year. It may have been 2011. But in that study, they noted that half of the scientists that published in Nature ever cite the moon landing as the single event that inspired them to go into science. Think about that. Half of the research that was published in Nature, research that has improved a lot of our lives, research that has directly saved people's lives, was inspired by the moon landing, a major event in space. When you think about that, Mars is the next step and it is the next generation. It is how many people will be inspired, not just to go into space, but to go into science, go into technology, to use their collective brain power to solve hard problems because they're seeing a live example of it now. I think that that will continue to improve lives. And I can't even imagine to think how many lives that will save in the future. It's frustrating because a lot of times we're, we're so stuck on what's going on here on earth but we don't see ahead and we don't see how space influences us and space inspires us. Now that's the engineer half of me. Now there is the communicator half of me who is the human, the artist, the, uh, if I could draw better, I'd probably be an artist too, but I've got software so I can do it in CAD instead. And in that half, I think about just the fact that exploration, it is, and a kind of science, science me is popping out again, but it is encoded in our DNA. 
That is how we survived. That is how we evolved. We did not stay in one place. We went from place to place. We learned, we shared, we grew. And so when we look at Mars, the desire to travel there, the desire to be there, that is essentially who we are. And traveling to Mars enables us to be more fully human than we could ever possibly be. I grew up a big fan of space flight my entire life. For the longest time, I never really, it, space was just this thing that I saw on TV. And I was like, oh, wow, that was cool. But the moment, the moment that it became real to me was actually a few years ago. Um, I was at Humans to Mars in 2018, and I was at an event, and I'm somehow, some way, I'm sitting next to Buzz Aldrin. And I am looking at this guy three feet from me, and I can look in this man's eyes. And when I see, I can see the fact that he went to the moon and back, I can hear him talk about it. The story all of a sudden goes from being this grainy footage that I used to see on TV in class to being real. And that is so inspiring and so powerful. And so I think when we go to Mars, it's not just about going to Mars, but it's about going to Mars, being able to bring people back who can tell the story, who can personify it, who can make it real for the rest of us. Because when we see that, that again, we are humans and we are built to connect in that way. So in short, going to Mars allows us to be more human than we've ever been before. Thank you very much, Aaron. Hey, uh, the TED Talks people were on the phone. They want to talk. Um, <laughs> Janet, it's your turn to uh, tell us as president of Explore Mars and a lifelong enthusiast, why Mars? Thank you to all of you. You've touched on hints of things that I think and believe are true. I'm going to build on what Aaron ended with. It's like I've said for a long time as a lover of both art and science that we must make it our mission to honor creative thought as the birthplace of every scientific advancement and endeavor that has ever been or ever will be. Because in and through art and science are sewn the threads of understanding, exhibition, uh, exposition and innovation. And we must never forsake that discovery potential that is indelible when we give art and wonder and exploration a chance to do its most profound and scientific good. My why Mars is this, because I believe in team human. Each of us, a thermodynamic miracle related to Earth chemically, each other biologically and the universe atomically. We are ferociously cosmic. And we were designed to seek to know and to push the boundaries of our scientific and technical limits and then push further. If indeed space is a team sport, as my friend Naeem Altoff of IBM said earlier today, then as access to space increases for us all, then what we innovate to thrive on Mars will thusly create extraordinary benefits for life and sustainability here on Earth and elsewhere. And that's when we begin to truly engage in this collective endeavor with that overview perspective that there is no great divide in the family of humanity. Then we will be a multi-planetary species. Then we will all have learned how to be the best of crewmates on this moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam and on Mars. And I live with this expectation of seeing my students living this in full reality. And that's my Why Mars. Explore Mars President Janet Ivey closing out our sampling of the Why Mars panel at the 2021 Humans to Mars Summit. We've got excerpts from my other two panels titled Artemis to Mars and Planet of Robots in the online version of this week's show at planetary.org radio.
They feature leaders and others from the European, Japanese, United Arab Emirates, and U.S. space agencies. You can enjoy all of the H2M sessions presented in mid-September at ExploreMars.org. As always, I'm very grateful to Explore Mars for allowing me to contribute. The Planetary Society was once again a sponsor of H2M. I will be back in one minute with Bruce Betts and this week's edition of What's Up? This is Planetary Radio. LightSail 2 made history with its launch and deployment in 2019, and it's still sailing. Hi, everyone. It's Bruce, Program Manager for the Planetary Society's LightSail program. Your support made this happen. Now we need help to continue the adventure. Gifts in support of our extended mission will be matched up to $25,000 by a generous society member. Details are at planetary.org slash S-A-I-L-O-N. That's planetary.org slash sail on. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here is the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society. That's Bruce Betts. Welcome once again. Thank you, Matt. Venus, low in the west, kind of low. After sunset, Venus looking super bright, as it always does. The crescent moon will be hanging out with it on October 9th. And then we've got the reddish star in, this brightest star in Scorpius, Antares, that will be getting closer and closer to Venus over the next few days. And we'll hang out with the moon and Venus on the October 9th. Antares being much dimmer, but still a bright star and quite uh, reddish. We've also got over in the uh, middle of the sky, over in the south in the early evening, we've got really bright Jupiter and to its right yellowish Saturn, and the moon will hang out with them on October 14th. I'm looking for clarification. What do you mean by the middle of the sky? Yeah, I made that up. That. <laughs> well, okay. You, you, do you want to know? Do you want to know why my yeah. brain just fried out? Okay. I am not as friendly in my uh, reports as I should be, but it gets complicated for our Southern Hemisphere listeners. And so when planets are hanging out in the East or the West... Basically, they're in the east or the west, whatever hemisphere you're in. When planets are hanging out in the middle of the sky, a term I made up, then if you're in the northern hemisphere, the planets tend to hang out in the south. And if you're in the southern hemisphere, they tend to hang out in the north. So I usually say the south, and our southern hemisphere listeners are smart enough to reverse that and look to the north, but I feel badly, so I resorted to just making up something on the fly. Are you glad you asked? I am, actually, yes, because that will stay with me now, and I will always know to uh, to stick to the middle ground. <laughs> yeah. I, um, anyway, let us move on to something more concrete this week in space history. 1957, Sputnik 1 uh. becomes first satellite in orbit. A year later, not coincidentally soon after, was formed NASA, 
uh, in October of uh, 1958. And then much more recently, in 2016, Rosetta ended its spectacular mission by setting down on Comet 67P this week in 2016. Just another note of clarification, Sputnik 1, not made of concrete, right? Not to my knowledge. What did, did you think it was? You said to become more concrete. <laughs> Well, this is a classic episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's another fine mess you've gotten me into. (laughs) It's not. No, that'll be the trivia contest. Was Sputnik made of concrete? No, it's Uh, not. It wasn't. And let us go on to a random space (laughs) (sighs) Neptune's moon, Nesso is the most distant moon from its planet known. How distant is it? At its farthest from Neptune. Nesso is farther from Neptune than Mercury is from the sun at its farthest from the sun. It's way out there. That's good. Thank you. We can rebuild this. All right, let us go (laughs) on to the trivia question. I asked you, I personally found this rather fascinating, Uh, What was the largest telescope by primary mirror diameter during the 19th century, so the 1800s? How'd we do, Matt? We had not only a complete recovery, I guess everybody's back from vacation. It's way up there. A lot of people were fascinated by this question. Almost everyone had the right answer. I am very proud to say it's been over five years since he has won because of a random.org choice. Uh, He did have a win in the middle there because of uh, some kind of artistic or poetic uh, contribution. But if he's correct, the winner this week is our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild in in Kansas. Here's his response. Back in the 19th century, the largest telescope was built in good old Ireland, and it was really dope. Leviathan (laughs) of Parsontown is what they called this boss. And if you check the mirror, it was six feet straight across, 72 inches. Yeah? Yeah. That is correct. Congratulations. Congratulations, Dave. Great job. Uh, you have won yourself a Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the poems, too. It was the largest telescope in the world from 1845 until the 100-inch was built in the mountains above above me in Pasadena Altadena. Yep, still up there, still doing astronomy. Yeah, very cool place to visit if you're uh, ever in our neck of the woods, folks. All right, what do you got for next time? In a random connection of two facts that are truly unrelated, what moon of a planet has an orbital period closest to 24 hours? So if you look at all the moons in our solar system, what moon goes around its planet closest to one Earth day? And that's a sidereal period for those uh, playing the home game. Wow, does Wikipedia have a list of all moons and their characteristics? I bet a lot of you are going to find out when you look this one (laughs) up. No one uses (laughs) the web to answer these, do they? Uh, No, never. Of course not. Why would they? You have until 8 a.m. on uh, 8 a.m. Pacific on Wednesday, October 6th. Can you believe it? We're almost in the last quarter of the year. Wednesday at 8 a.m. October 6th uh, to enter this one and win yourself, yep, once again, a Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid. We're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky and think about if you had a really big telescope, what would you name it? Thank you. Good night.
I would I would christen it the Bruce Betts middle of the sky. Tell us, <laughs> it's going to be better than that. No, it's got to be better than that. I, I'll I'll work on it. Okay, <laughs> that will make it be. <laughs> Oh, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, and here I am. <laughs> Stuck in the middle with the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, that's Bruce Betts. will join us once again next week for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members who want a vacation on Mars someday. Mark Hilverda and Jason Davis are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser at Astro.